Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover Rock Punk 2. It's Elimination Chamber 2013. Kyush is the only reason this match happened, because Rock enjoyed his first match with CM Punk so much. I genuinely wonder if... When Rock came back, because Rock's such a fan of indie wrestling, Rock's such a fan of Ring of Honor and stuff like that, he so badly wanted to have that indie match, and he had it, like the one and only time he ever got to with Punk at Rumble. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's because WWE is still not sure if they're going to actually do the triple threat or not. And I don't know if they just don't have a better idea for what to do for this show, because if you take this match off of this show, it's embarrassing. Yeah, I don't remember if this was always going to happen. I am so entertained by the thought of Rock, like, coming back through the curtain after that Rumble match, being so fired up and being like, man, that was awesome. Can we do that again next month? And, like, Vince Triple H just being like, uh... Yeah, sure, absolutely, big guy, whatever you want. And then, like, Rock waking up the next morning being like, oh, fuck, what did I agree to? Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm fucking sore everywhere. Yeah. I took 50 more bumps <laughs> than I've ever taken in a match. That's a good point. Um, but, yeah, so but before we get to that, we've got some, some interesting current wrestling stuff to talk about. First off, WWE presented the Elimination Chamber uh, pay-per-view over the weekend. Did you catch any of this live? I only caught the uh, Rhea, I, I caught the Rhea versus um, Rhea versus Nia main event while I was eating breakfast. Look, I'll wake up or or stay up until five in the morning to watch New Japan shows. I'm not doing that shit for an Elimination Chamber. No, I did not watch any of it live. I have caught the show since then, and I thought it was aggressively fine yeah <laughs> this is probably not what the government of perth australia had in mind when they paid WWE millions of dollars for this show i haven't seen an attendance figure yet it didn't seem super full but it's also I like was, a huge stadium so i, I don't thought know. They, i think they did like 40 40 for between 40 and 50 thousand I think what we're proving, and maybe what Triple H understands that other promoters don't, is that it, it really doesn't fucking matter what you put on the marquee because the draw of going to the stadium, the one and only stadium show your Novelty. country's ever had. Yeah. yeah. Like that's like, why these shows are that's why these shows are drawing so well because they've not done a pay per view they've not done a pay per view in Australia since the Global Warning show back in the early thousands. Uh, you know they did England for the first time since SummerSlam '92. They're gonna do France for the first time ever, Germany for the first time ever, and yeah, they'll draw massive, massive you know, houses, because it's not going to matter what's on the card. Same way it didn't really matter what AEW had on the card for Wembley Stadium last year. Yeah, if you think about it, that show really wasn't that big when you look at the card, but it didn't fucking matter, because it was the novelty of getting having the opportunity to see something new, and, and isn't it just so exciting to go to a giant stadium show? Like, oh, as God, opposed to, yes. like, yeah, we could go to, like, a tiny arena and watch Raw, but, like, wouldn't you just so much... The appeal of getting to go to a place where 40,000 people are watching wrestling. It's just like, that's the draw. It almost doesn't even matter what's on the show. Uh, So the road to WrestleMania is a little clearer. We've got Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins for the world title and Becky Lynch versus Rhea for the women's world title. 
I'm a little surprised by Drew winning, but clearly that's a change of plans after Punk's injury. And I think when you looked at the available options, he's pretty clearly the guy who has the most momentum right now. The interesting thing is how they're going to because if they're still planning on doing Cody and Seth versus Rock and Roman night one, does that mean that it's Seth versus Drew night two? And is Seth yeah. really going to work two matches after coming back early from this horrible leg injury? I don't. Why know. not? I mean, I guess <laughs> he's probably going to drop the title here anyway. He can take some time off afterwards. I've seen some people suggesting that they pivot and find a way to insert John Cena into this instead of <laughs> Seth Rollins. And that I guess narratively it makes more sense. Why? I Well, because Rome, he's got beef with Roman, too, and he fucking oh, hates Oh, I, in the tag match. I thought you, the, people were talking about the world title match. <laughs> no, no. How are they going to get the world title on John Cena? Yeah, make Seth forfeit it to Cena. That'll get some heat. Yeah, Cody and Cena versus Bloodline sounds awesome. That's a killer night one main yeah. event, for sure. I don't know how they get there, but that wouldn't be a bad idea, especially if you're going to go this way. Um, yeah. Also, b- before we get off of this topic, I've never done this before, but I'm going to hit you with the stump, Steve, right now at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, really? So Drew McIntyre won the Elimination Chamber, making him uh, in a two-way tie for third all-time with Edge with two wins. The most winning uh, Elimination Chamber winner of all time is Triple H with four. Sure. But can you tell me who's tied for second with three each? Guys who have three Elimination Chamber wins. Oh, yeah. Or yes. girls, they st- but they haven't, there just haven't been that many women's ones, so I can't believe any woman has won three. No woman has even repeated. Yeah. So, like, yeah, there's a that's not surprising. There have only been a few of them. Um, John Cena has to have won a couple of these things, right? Yeah, John Cena's one of them. Okay, that's no surprise at all. The other one... This one blew my mind. It's probably something more recent, I would think. But well, let me start by just going through these in chronological order. So Shawn Michaels won the first one. I don't think yep. he ever won another one. Uh, Triple H won that second one. He probably did win another one or two after that. Actually, he he also won the one at New Year's Revolution. Well, Triple H won four. He won four of the first. Oh, that's eight. right. You just told me he's the guy. Who won yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not that's not a huge shock, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other guy. I'm going to guess the Undertaker. So the Undertaker has won one. I would have definitely thought he had won more. The answer to this question is Daniel Bryan. Oh, What? He won two. I remember he won the one with Kofi where he beat Kofi at the end. Yeah. So he won it in 2012 when he was like first had his title and then he jobbed at Sheamus at WrestleMania. That's right. Santino. He won the WWE championship in 2019. That's the Kofi one. And then he won the universal championship title shot in 2021, the COVID WrestleMania. What? That's not right. That's how he got into that championship match. I don't remember that.
That's right. Oh, and he yeah, got to, I, okay. And yeah, and he had to face Roman right away and Roman beat him, but then he got added to the title match anyway. Exactly. Yes. So technically wow. that was, that was almost like a double cash in thing because like Miz also cashed him money in the bank later in that show. So it felt he like did. that was a bizarre night. <laughs> I, I did not watch this show. I did not watch the Thunderdome. Nor did I. But finding out that Daniel Bryan was tied for second for most That's Elimination insane. Chamber wins is crazy. Yeah, I never would have guessed him. I didn't really remember that he had won any of those. Exactly. All right, so I successfully stumped Steve, and now we can move on. How do you feel about having it confirmed for us that it's going to be Becky versus Rhea? Uh, it had to be. Yeah. Uh, part I, of me I, wanted... Rhea versus Jade, but they're better off saving that for next year. Triple H plays it, the long game. It's just such an obvious thing, right? Like yeah. honestly, like I if if I'm booking WrestleMania, Rhea's winning, and I might just have oh, her keep yeah. it another year. Fucking, I don't oh, know definitely. why not. <laughs> she should just beat. I mean, she already beat Charlotte. She can beat Becky. Have her beat all of the previous generation of women. Like she's. She has a chance of being the biggest woman star they've ever had, and it might all she might already be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she's quite surpassed the man Becky Lynch yet, but I yeah. think she's on pace too. I don't think she's as like mainstream a name necessarily, no. but in terms of credibility, I don't like it's hard to find somebody to pair her up with, really. Mommy versus the man, what a showdown. My only reservation about it is that it can't be a main event because like they're yeah. definitely not putting the bloodline versus Cody in the fucking <laughs> undercard. Oh yeah. Maybe I can open the show. Let's do a three night. Why not? All right. Story number two, AEW revolution preview. Hey, remember this promotion called AEW? We never talk about anymore. The, the idea that this became like a weekly WWE podcast is one of the wildest things that could have possibly happened to us. I stopped and thought about it. I don't think we I literally don't think we have talked about AEW since the very first show of the year when we were talking about uh, the fallout from the World's End show and the end of the Continental Classic and all that. And there's just been so much WWE news, yeah. guys. It's been the wildest stretch. Which, and the funny thing about it is, this is probably the best television that AEW's been putting on in a very long time. In years, I think. Um, probably, I, I'm a weekly probably watcher like again. 2021 or 2022. I mean, I love the Continental Classic, but I wasn't into any... At the, when that was going on, I didn't like anything else on the show at the time. I wasn't even watching the shows for that. I was literally just, just watching, watch like, yeah. yeah, I was just watching the matches and, like, whatever little Twitter clips would pop up. No, they've really found themselves with a new direction. They've got so many exciting people coming in. This card, on paper, match for match, is so unbelievably stacked, I can't believe it. So... I mean, we're coming to the end of an era as Sting will wrestle his final match. And fittingly, it's at the Greensboro Coliseum where he first became a star all the way back in 1988 against Ric Flair. This career of Sting is insane. This guy broke in in the territory days. Like, this guy wrestled in Mid-South and World Class. This guy was a contemporary of the Von Eriks. 
There's nowhere he didn't wrestle of significance. He wrestled in the NWA. He wrestled in the AWA at the very beginning, very briefly. Uh, he wrestled in WWE, WCW, TNA, New Japan. He wrestled literally everywhere there is to wrestle and was beloved in all of those places. And the like, turn his career has taken where he's so clearly been in this for the love of the game for just years and years now, like Sting's reputation. And I think it was fair was that like, he was really just a guy who viewed wrestling as a job. He was just in it to make money. He didn't grow up a wrestling fan, but like somewhere along the way, he clearly fell in love with this. Ironically, doesn't it kind of feel like TNA is where that happened? Probably. As weird as that is. Why else was he doing? Although, I mean, they were paying him pretty well, but like, why else was he doing that? Why else was he wrestling in front of the same 900 people every week? And he very clearly went to WWE just as like a legacy for the love of the game thing. Because again, this man has made lots of money. He seems like he's just fine. The degree to which he's like found like a surrogate son in Darby Allen has been so fascinating to watch. Like, it's been years now where he's literally said, like, when I retire, it'll be with Darby. Like, I need Darby. I can't do matches without Darby, but I want to put over Darby. Like, Sting, one of the biggest stars of all time, has just taken this guy and said, like, no, I'm going to pass everything on to him. So we'll have him and Darby against the Young Bucks, who have really leveled up now that they've gone back to being heels. Leaning into the EVP oh, yeah. thing, leaning Brilliant. into all the criticisms people have, it's just so smart. Love Honestly, it. like you just want to boo the Bucks. Like I, I, I like them even as people, and I still want to boo them. <laughs> I think this is going to be an absolute classic match. I think this is going to be amazing. Oh my god, yeah. Like, uh, and normally I would be concerned about a match having to follow that one, and it will be hard. But then again, the main event. Seems like it's going to be pretty fucking great. Yeah, I mean, no, I think they're, they're, I'd, I'd be shocked if they didn't put the Sting match on last. I, I honestly think so, too. Like, yeah. I, as it's much as the It's going to be super emotional. Big, a ton of his friends are good. You know, they'll have a ton of legends there. I think that's got to be the last match. I agree. I think the that who, you're absolutely The who's right. going to show up game is one of the most interesting parts of this, isn't it? Who are the big people from Sting's past? Luger. Luger's a big one. I mean, Flair, they already got we know Flair, Flair is going to be there. Hogan, I don't. Hogan wouldn't do that. I don't think. I don't think he would do that to WWE. Yeah, he's not going to burn his bridge there. Nash, no, I don't know. Nash already said he's not going to go because he just doesn't feel right about feel right about it, given his relationship with Triple H. And that's entirely fair. And like he wasn't really that close with Sting no. either. Would Goldberg Mafia show up? brother? Maybe. I mean, we've heard Gold. We, I mean, Goldberg's seemingly been playing footsie with Tiana. Or hey, God, I keep doing that <laughs> with AEW for years now. Uh, Kurt Angle showing up would be fun. I don't yeah. know if he would, but that would be great. I, I, I don't think he works for WWE. He's not affiliated with WWE in any capacity at this point. I don't think. I mean, Brett showing up would be cool. I, I mean. Most of we his know, contemporary... we know Brett go, we know Brett goes wherever he wants. Most of Sting's true contemporaries are either dead, dead or aren't even around anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Arn Anderson will be there. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> yeah, so that part's going to be really interesting. Um, 
We're going to have Samoa Joe defending the AEW title, definitely against Swerve Strickland, and Hangman Page is supposed to be in there too, but it sounds like he injured his ankle last week, and I haven't heard any update on that. So they were apparently that was a work. Apparently that was literally God, just a again? work. Yeah. Wow, keep doing this to me. And that was such a great one because like who actually has the presence of mind to be like pretend to like like do something to his ankle and then go to the camera and be like get off me get off me you're not supposed to be filming me I'm hurt. Like that's just Remember such when Daniel a Bryan got his legs stuck in the ramp. Yep. Like, I like everyone freaked out about it, including me. Then it turned out it just ha- like it just happened by accident, and he was fine, and he was just messing around. Yeah, I saw the clip today with John Moxley stamping on the ramp and being like, "Why are you so stuck? Oh no! How will he ever survive?" The thing where they had Mark Henry come out and move the ring was awesome. <laughs> just like a bulldozer they keep backstage. Oh, we need Mark. But yeah, it seems like Hangman's uh, good, so this should be a good. fucking barn burner of a match, yeah. man. Uh, title change here? Do you think Joe keeps it? This is interesting, because I kind of feel like Swerve and Hangman cancel each other out. Yeah. Um, We've said many times that like if you're going to Wembley, the championship match is blank versus Will Ospreay. Yeah. And it could be any of these three people. Yep. So I don't, I would completely understand if any of these three won. I would have no problem with any of the options here. Plus we've got Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy versus Roderick Strong, Will Ospreay versus Takeshita, several other matches that I'm not thinking of right now. Big card. Tony Khan just has a way with his pay-per-views of like, knowing what the audience wants to see. Like he puts two names next to each other on a card and you're like, Oh fuck. Even though these guys, there are a million guys on this roster, but we've seen so many people wrestle each other. And yet every pay-per-view, I swear to God, I'm like Osprey versus Takeshita. I never even thought of that. And it feels like it's been forever since they've done a pay-per-view, but it's only been two months. Like, the 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 world's end was at the very end of December. It was, like, two days before New Year's. Yeah, this is why I like that they didn't go straight to 12 pay-per-views, because, like, still feels like it's been a lot of time and a lot of time opportunity to build to these yeah. matches. And that's what they've always had, is the opportunity to have, like, a big, heavy build going into their pay-per-views. So I'm glad that we're not going to lose out on that. All right, topic three, New Japan stuff going on. Uh, Matt Riddle killed Tanahashi to win the TV title. In eight minutes, guys. What the fuck are we doing? (laughs) Uh, Nick Namath beat David Finley to become the new global champion. And it was a killer match, too. Like, that is probably the best I've seen Nick Namath look since fucking 2013, maybe. I that. I'm so interested in the idea of Dolph Ziggler wrestling outside of WWE because I've never seen him wrestle anywhere else. It's something that we've speculated about openly for so long. And, like, literally the, the premise of the match was that he is so stuck in his WWE style that he was fighting from underneath because he's just not used to like all yeah. the, he's not used to being punched in the face so much, much more physical uh, style over there in Japan. He's also in without question, the best shape of his life, which is saying something for yeah. him. <laughs> and they announced the brackets for the new Japan cup. 
the top seeds are Sonata, Evil, Zack Sabre, and Goto. They all get buys through the first round. Um, looking at the first round matchup, Shota Umino versus Jack Perry caught my eye. Clearly two of their top young talents. So I, none of, I don't think anybody really knows what the fuck is going on with Jack Perry right now. Whether or not he's actually like with the New Japan roster, whether he's on loan from AW, like how long it'll be for. Um, I pitched to you like earlier today that I, I genuinely think he'll probably like join the House of Torture and beat Shota because that's who Shota's feuding with anyway. Because that's that seems to fit like a glove with his like real trash shit boy gimmick that he's got going on right now. That makes sense. I can't. The smart money on the New Japan Cup is David Finley because he just lost that belt, which frees him up to go for the big one. And it's Naito, so you're probably looking at a heel. But here's the thing. Like, they've got to push these young guys at some point, right? Like, I've deflected a whole lot of criticism from a lot of New Japan watchers about, like, how they think, like, the product is cooked and Gato sucks, and that's all garbage. But, like, a lot of us are just sitting on edge waiting for Yoda Suji and Shota Umino to actually win ever anything. <laughs> and I'm not sure this is the moment, but fuck, man, I'd like to see somebody make a run at least. Yeah, I mean, Finley seems like such an obvious winner. Just as like, like you're not going to use your big. To, it seems like the like the winner of the New Japan Cup is usually so like a mid carder with some credibility because the champion's not usually dumping the title this early. Yeah, the two most prolific winners of this tournament are Zack Saber Jr. and Haruki Goto, neither of which has ever won the world title. Yeah. So if that tells you everything you need to know. But yeah, we'll be keeping track. This is the real March Madness. I love so go online, you guys at home. Chris Samsa, who does a lot of like the stats and information for the New Japan American announcers, uh, is doing like a literal like bracket challenge where you can submit your bracket and see like whoever gets the closest. And they're he's going to give away like free subscriptions to New Japan World and stuff like that. Super awesome. I'm putting in my bracket today. It's going to be ironclad. I'm not going to tell you guys what I picked. <laughs> All right, so let's turn the clock back to February 2013. Um, we're coming off the Royal Rumble, where The Rock beat CM Punk to end Punk's epic 434-day reign as WWE champion. At the time, I don't think we ever thought we'd see a world title run longer than that in WWE. How funny is it that this title reign is now like, that's it? Smashed into the dust. But it was the longest title run since Hogan, I think, at the time? Yes. Yeah, because all the ones that are longer were were There were a bunch, and there were several that were like exactly a year, and he held it longer than that. It's just so funny that it was punk. And then, like, literally at the tail end of this thing, he just pretty much bails. So, like... He basically got to hold the title forever and then leave. Um, and John Cena won the Royal Rumble, you know, seemingly locking in Rock versus Cena 2 at WrestleMania for the title. But we wondered, might they add CM Punk to it? You know, Maybe they didn't have a match for CM Punk. Maybe The Undertaker wasn't going to be able to work WrestleMania. Maybe they weren't going to be comfortable having the same match main event WrestleMania two years in a row. We wondered, and when they announced a Punk Rock rematch for Elimination Chamber, I did kind of think something shady was going to go down and we might get Punk added to the main event. So obviously the reason why we're doing this show is because of the corollary to 
basically the year that we're in right now, where a guy who's been the top star all year long uh, seemingly was going to be supplanted by The Rock for his top spot, and there was so much suggestion of making it a triple threat. I'll say this. If they had made Cody Rhodes versus The Rock versus Roman Reigns, I honestly think that's a much better match that makes way more sense than this punk triple threat because despite how big punk got for a second he's just not on the level that cody rhodes is now i don't think no and rock versus cena was such a great rivalry they had had such a hot feud the year before and such a great match and like such uh, the ending with Cena blowing it, they had to have the rematch. Cena had to get the one on win, one win over Rock. And in theory, the entire premise of the whole previous year of John Cena is that he's been waiting to fight the Rock yeah. again and he won't be right until he does. Yeah. Couldn't get out totally of his funk, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was, <laughs> didn't really feel like that at the time, but that was the story they felt like they were telling. When they finally eventually get to like the the video that they make about the feud, like that works completely because that just skips all the you know him winning the title repeatedly and a bunch of <laughs> him dumb winning shit the Royal like Rumble, that. all that stuff. The yeah. fact they went there and brought up his divorce was incredible. Yeah, like that so, like, was gutsy. That's the story. Putting Punk in there just makes that messy. However, I do think it would have made so much more sense to just have him retain at the Royal Rumble and then lose to Rock here. I just think that makes more sense. Yeah, that probably that would have been much better for CM Punk. Like that would have been something he could have had. Like he already had this ultra long title run, but adding in like he beat the Rock would have really, you know, done something for him. It's also like literally all you have to do is exactly the way yeah. that match at Royal Rumble ended, except don't restart it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Understandably, if you've forgotten this, the lights went out and the shield triple power bombed the rock through the announce table. And then they threw rock back in the ring and punk pinned him. And Vince McMahon came out and he first he was just going to award rock the title because the stipulation was if anyone if the shield interferes, if anyone interferes on punk's behalf, he's stripped. But rock demanded that, you know, they restart the match because he wanted to beat punk for real. And then he did. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, It's such a complicated finish in terms of how I feel about it. Wouldn't that have been such a great moment for like David Otunga to come out and be like, uh, my client CM Punk has committed no wrongdoing. You can't prove that it was the shield. The lights were out. You didn't see shit. That would have been such a great way to go off the air too, is because you'd have to tune into raw to be like, well, what the fuck happened then? Um, also on this show, we'll have an elimination chamber match to determine who will challenge the world champion at WrestleMania featuring Randy Orton, Kane, Daniel Bryan, Chris Jericho, Mark Henry, and Jack Swagger. This is one of the least interesting elimination chamber matches of all time, but primarily because when you just said those names right there, it's a lot of guys who definitely weren't going to be in the match. And then a giant racist. And who's the world champion? <laughs> Alberto Del Rio. <laughs> That's the thing is like, I, it seems so obvious that even though he had just come back, just gotten this character, it was like, oh yeah, of course Swagger's going to win. They got to do the Mexican guy against the Tea Party guy. We've literally created a character where like he hates immigrants and he's like a proud boy. 
and you have a Mexican world champion. Yeah, it's not a fucking surprise. <laughs> I'm amazed they even bothered with the elimination chamber because it was so so fucking obvious. Um, Swagger, of course, has yeah just returned from a long absence with a new Tea Party character and Dutch Mantel as his manager. This was very weird. Even back, like it felt like at that point we were long past the era where WWE was like getting into politics. But for whatever reason, they decided to go with this. Like it was weird to pitch it. It was doubly weird to put Dutch Mantel on television. That's because it's just like I guarantee it was like Michael Hayes is like, well, who's the most racist guy I know, huh? Uh, oh, Dutch can do it. <laughs> Dutch, I mean, look, the character is gross, but I think I mean, I don't think anybody can like take anything away from Dutch's performance here. Yeah, here's the thing. Dutch is so good in this role yeah. that A, he's turns like baby scary. face. Yeah, it turns the act baby face Jesus. because we the people gets over. <sighs> All right. Before we get to the show. Are you ready for where this lightning round is going to go? I seriously doubt it. Let's get it on. <laughs> Vince McMahon needed hip surgery, so he had Brock Lesnar F5 him for a kayfabe explanation of why he had a broken hip. Guys, <laughs> why? <insane. laughs> like, yeah, Vince needs hip surgery. He wasn't appearing on TV very frequently at this time, so it really wouldn't have been a big deal if he just disappeared for a while. But instead, he's like, oh, no, I need to have Brock F5 me. We got to get some heat from this. Isn't this the wildest thing that the only character in the history of this company that Vince cares about the continuity of is himself? Because, like, he always had to be like, no, no, I can't just go off a TV. There has to be a reason, a concrete reason why the character Mr. McMahon can't appear on television. The time he got fired, the time they blew him up, uh, the time uh, the time he went home to be a genetic jackhammer. Uh, trying to think of some of the other ones. The time the Nexus put him in a coma. Guys, you don't understand. When the when Poochie's not on screen, the audience will be asking, where's Poochie? Slate's Dave Weigel wrote a column entitled WWE invents odious Tea Party character as part of publicity stunt. Suckers Glenback. Woof. <laughs> Pretty much sums it up. I did forget that, like, this got some actual traction on yes. the Fox Newses of the world because they weren't really wise to wrestling it. And like, I'm trying to remember the angle they took to it. Were they like, this is in like they're making fun of conservatives? I can't remember. No, no, no. They thought, as far as my understanding was, is that like they thought that like, well, this is probably them making fun, but like he's making some good points. <laughs> Donald Trump thought so. Shit. Again. I, we can't go past any mention of this character without bringing up the fact that a lot of the things that Donald Trump eventually based his campaign on are probably things that he decided were true because of this character. That's not a joke. He was at WrestleMania this year. This is where they inducted him into the Hall of Fame. Like he saw that. I, I have heard it said, and I can't remember by who, if it's someone reliable, but that he, yeah, was inspired by, like, Dutch Mantel's promos. 
that automatically makes this the shittiest gimmick in the history of professional wrestling. Like you can say a lot about like the gobbledygooker, but it didn't have long-term real life ramifications. Ric Flair was supposed to wrestle for all Japan, but had to be pulled from the match due to a blood clot. He was replaced by his son, Reed. That's weird. It's like a month. I swear. I think Reed died like a month after this. And that was a dark time. Yeah. In TNA, Bully Ray married Brooke Hogan. Someday, you and I will get to talk in detail about aces and eights. Aces and eights. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But it will be the most... I will laugh the most in one podcast that I've ever laughed as I explain to you the story of aces and eights. Brodus Clay defeated a lingerie-clad Tensai in a dance-off on Raw Roulette. Which would lead to the tag team. Tons of of funk. Tons of funk. Fucking. For. (laughs) For A-Train, our boy, to have gone from the hip-hop hippo. Said, fuck this. Quit the company. Gone to Japan. Got his credibility back. Become a monster. Awesome, beloved, come back with this fresh new gimmick facing like John Cena and shit to find yep. himself right back as the hip hop hippo again. Tough break. It's a, it's a nightmare. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Carl Anderson to re- retain the IWGP title in the main event of New Beginning. That was a hell of a show. WWE bought a stake in the social media company Tout. Now, I have previously vouchsafed on this podcast that, yes, I did have a Tout. This is is a safe space. I remember nothing about Tout. I mean, it was was like Vine and TikTok. Like, the idea was sound. It just didn't really work out. Instagram just stole the idea with Reels. Yeah. And it just wasn't, like... The idea that WWE was behind it didn't make it like a thing that you needed to be part of. Really, I downloaded it because people started cutting promos on there, which was the one good idea that they got from that software. Was that like to have superstars just start cutting promos into their phones, which has resulted in most of the best WWE promos of the last 10 years. Roddy Piper claimed that Cousin Sal from the Jimmy Kimmel show wrote a movie about his life that Mark Wahlberg would star in. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> Roddy Piper got really strange at the end of his life. Like probably true. The idea of Mark Wahlberg dead seriously playing a Rod- that sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit. Because like if you actually did a biopic on Roddy Piper that was about his real actual life, it would be horrifying. He had a bad life, guys. Good. Bret Hart buried Triple H for being an average worker and said his match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania was average at best. Now, here's the thing. Hater. This is just some hater shit because that's just <laughs> not true. <laughs> but this is just like Bret Hart will go to his grave talking about how unsafe Bill Goldberg is and how Triple H is an average worker. Like it's, like it's like the Sopranos where um, Uncle Junior could never like stop reminding Tony that he was never a varsity athlete. 
I just really, really love that, like, Bret Hart is absolutely consistent, never changes his mind about this shit, ever, no matter what. And that's fantastic. Despite all evidence, the match Triple H had with The Undertaker at WrestleMania was unbelievable. And he was still, like, sitting there with his arms crossed, like, nah, I could have done better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Zack Ryder recorded a song about Eve Torres called Hoski. Oh, we are in the Hoski era, aren't we? We sure are. Uh, The International Olympic Committee shockingly voted to drop wrestling from the Summer Olympics. That does feel weird. It's still not part of it now, right? I thought that I thought they brought it back. Maybe they did. I, oh, there was a big campaign about it. Remember oh, yeah, when it was like a huge thing? Yeah, Kurt yeah, that's right. Stuff. Yeah, I remember Kurt was part of that campaign. That's right. Um, The Rock told a long and rambling story about buying a car from a crackhead in Memphis for seventy five dollars. Somehow this didn't end with him saying the crackhead was CM Punk, which would have been a great burn. Oh, man. What a weird. (laughs) It was this is Rock had some very weird promos in this comeback. There were times where he was clearly just going out there and just doing whatever he wanted. And this was one of them. Like. I'm so excited for The Rock's current run because it seems like at least he's like narratively constricted to actually play a character here. Like now that he's come back in one and like he didn't have an entire year of John Cena burying him on the microphone, he's just doing whatever the fuck he wants. Like 25 minute promos about nothing. Yeah, like I kept waiting for the punchline and waiting, and it just never came. It was just oh. a story about it was just a story about how he bought a car from a crackhead for seventy five dollars and then abandoned it. It's just something he was thinking about, man. <laughs> it was just what was on his mind. He was in Memphis. I feel like this is all. I feel like Rock spent a lot of his career trying to cut his like Dusty Rhodes promo. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean the promo with the Rumble was a hundred percent just part times. He literally did the reach out through through your screen and you can touch me. Like, shut the fuck up. Don't just say dusty lines. Cody should bury him for that. Yep. And finally, the hammer. Something called the Heart Legacy promotion was launched by Teddy Hart and his dad. Most of the wrestlers involved in the show weren't paid, which reportedly lost money despite nearly selling out the venue. Shockingly, Bruce Hart was not involved in this. Let's say, learning that a Hart was part of this is the least surprising thing in the world. Learning that Bruce had no yeah. stake in it whatsoever, that's the surprise. Is it a... Tra- is Teddy's dad Ross? Like, who's... Which one's Teddy's dad? He's a co- he's a cousin. Oh, that's right. He's I think, I think Annis, he's like an right? adopted cousin or something, isn't he? Yeah, something like that. I don't know that much about Teddy Hart. It just seems like he's one of the like strangest characters in wrestling history. There should be a movie made about Teddy Hart because he is. I, I of all the people who probably should have been big stars in wrestling history, he's had the weirdest fucking road. All right. To get into the show. It's Sunday, February the 17th, 2013. We're at the Smoothie King Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. What a name for this arena. The Smoothie King Smoothie Center. Smoothie King. Yeah. 
Uh, seems like they sold it out. 13,000 announced attendance. Um, the show does 213,000 buys. That's up from 178,000 the previous year for Kane versus John Cena in an ambulance match. Well, I'm amazed that anybody bought that bullshit, but also like that show in general was a hotter show with like a better elimination chamber match. And like, and again, this is just pretty clear that you did not buy the show for any reason other than the rock. I could yeah. not imagine a reason to buy the show except to see the rock wrestle on it. I was still surprised they could barely break 200,000 buys with a rock match. Yeah, but that's how bad. I don't think I bought this pay-per-view. I was saving my money for WrestleMania. I mean, I did, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> On the pre-show, Tons of Funk defeated Team Road Scholars in 4 minutes and 14 seconds. Yep, there's your... this 10 years later, Cody Rhodes is going to finish the story at WrestleMania, but... Back here, they him and Damian Sandow were losing to tons of funk on YouTube. Obviously, this mini season that we're doing is about how like The Rock <laughs> has like constantly been part of like tumultuous lead-ins yeah. to WrestleMania throughout the course of his career. But I just love doing this background watch of like, huh, where's Cody Rhodes? Oh, Junk. doing some bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um Opening match, we've got Alberto Del Rio defending the World Heavyweight title against The Big Show. Uh, He beat The Big Show in last man standing matches twice, but here they're just going to have a regular match for some reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, we might be the two biggest fans in the entire free world of their Royal Rumble match, which was surprisingly awesome Mm. and made Del Rio look like a genuine babyface star. To go back to a normal match now that has zero heat and Big Show doesn't even seem all that interested in it is very odd. And looking at the creative direction they've gone with Del Rio, like having him steal the tires from Big Show and pour orange paint on him, they're just booking him like Eddie Guerrero at this point. Oh, yeah. Also, there was just a thing at the time where like all baby faces had to be weird prank doing bullies. Like. Yeah. Do you remember when Sheamus was a babyface and he just started taking shits in Del Rio's car? He, he like, did. He did. What are we What are we doing, guys? <laughs> um, Big Show throws Del Rio around for a while. Del Rio starts working the arm. He gets him in the arm breaker, but Big Show makes the ropes. Big Show goes to powerbomb Del Rio, but Del Rio counters with a Hurricane Rana and a suicide dive. And then a seated senton, which is a move he's borrowing from Rey Mysterio. Very weird to see Alberto, who's, you know, 6'4", doing that move. Now, the fascinating thing about Alberto is that he was a luchador at one point. Like, he can do all of that yep. stuff. So, like, <laughs> freakishly athletic. It's just so fun to see him, like, uncork that aspect to his, like, moveset and character. Because he's been, like, like the rich heel who, like, only does fancy like highbrow shit, but like he could do all of that, like technical baby face shit. I think it really would have helped him out. Del Rio goes for a super kick, but show catches his foot and then choke slams him for a close two count. Yep. <laughs> show sets up for the KO punch, but Del Rio rolls out of the ring. That's a heel move, Alberto. Get it together. 
He does keep doing like yeah. random heelish shit throughout the course of these matches. But again, that is actually a little Addy Ash. Yeah, that's true. Uh, show goes for another choke slam, but Del Rio slips out and DDTs him. He then locks in the cross arm breaker. Show manages to turn it over, lift Del Rio, and slam him. That was genuinely. That was cool. I never get sick of seeing how actually strong the big show is. Like, I feel like despite some demonstrations here and there, like you never really get a sense for it until you see him like one handed lift a whole man up into the air, like deadlift. And a big man, like a guy who's six, four, two forty, probably. My favorite is when somebody would be outside the ring and he would grab him on the top of their head. They would grab onto his hand and he would just pull them op- over the top rope and into the ring. I couldn't do that with like a two by four from the floor outside of the ring. Show gets distracted by Ricardo. Del Rio hits him with a pair of insiguris and then locks in the arm breaker. Show can't get to the ropes and he taps out. It was pretty good. Not as good as their Royal Rumble match. Now, I'm sure that like it's happened plenty of times, but it still happened. Big Show has tapped out infrequently enough in his career yeah. that it is a pretty big deal for him to tap out to this. It it definitely should have happened before this, and it feels bizarre to have this happen after the two last man standing matches, but they're still trying to give Del Rio a pretty big rub here. I think it worked okay. Next up for the U.S. title, we've got Antonio Cesaro defending against The Miz. Yes, Cesaro originally had the first name Antonio, and he was like a rugby player who yodeled or something. At this point, he has had the United States title for several months, so now he's doing a I Love America gimmick, where he's got like like the American American flag around and shit, and like it's not working at all. It's strange, like... They saw enough in him to sign him and call him up quickly, but they clearly had no idea what to do with him. And they keep consistently... The man gets consistent television time the entire time he's in the company. So it's clear that they're a big fan of his work. But, like, until the bar, they have no clue what to do with him. And post the bar, they also have no clue what to do with him. Wrestled awesome matches the whole time. Barely ever, barely ever had a feud I can remember. It's just so funny that when they did get the bar and he finally was able to get his teeth into something that worked, it was so unbelievably awesome the entire time that it was like, oh, he could have been this good the whole time. Oh, yeah, and, him and then and they took it away. And like half the episodes of Raw for a four year period. Yeah, because they were just so fucking good and they would lose every time and you just wouldn't care because it was like, hell yeah. The bar versus whoever. Miz actually gets a nice little baby face pop for his entrance. Good for him. This is pre-Hollywood Miz. Post Ric Flair bequeathing the figure four to him. I think that just happened. Yeah, this is a kind of a miserable period for Miz where he's like trying to figure out some kind of new personality and they want him to be a face and it's just not a good fit. But never let anybody tell you that he didn't get over here because he was like, it's not that the fans weren't into him. It's just it just feels wrong. Miz has his shoulder taped up because Cesaro hit him with the giant swing into the security barrier on Raw. 
That was so like cool. 30 times. Yeah, that, that kicked was, ass. That was the first time I realized how awesome Cesaro was. Again, so much of Cesaro getting on television was just a matter of him doing shit that no other human being in the world could do. And so Vince was like, fuck, let's see some more. What else you got? Uh, of course, Cesaro is working on that injured shoulder. Miz manages to backdrop Cesaro to the floor, and then he runs Cesaro into the steps. Uh, JBL points out that'll hurt him more because he doesn't wear. At this point, he's not wearing knee pads. Yep. It's very weird. I have no idea why he didn't wear knee pads at this point. It's because he's a, I don't know, he's like an old school natural wrestler or something. I always wondered about that. Every time a wrestler doesn't wear knee pads, it feels like a statement. And I Cody, don't remember I, when Cody didn't wear knee pads. It might just be that some like wrestlers just don't like wearing knee pads, but it just you feels got to, you wrong. Need to, you got to protect your knees. Yeah. It's a very bad idea. Same thing. Anybody who doesn't wear shoes in the ring. Terrible idea. Agreed. Uh, Miz goes to apply the figure four, but Cesaro blocks it. Miz accidentally knee drops Cesaro in the balls, and that's a disqualification. This was a fine match until the very lame finish. We can't yeah. beat Miz, seriously? So the way that this finish works out is Miz is going for the figure four. Cesaro kicks his leg out from under him, causing Miz to stumble and fall with his other knee directly into Cesaro's balls. <laughs> was that what Cesaro was going for? I don't know. Like, it's unclear whether this was like a master stroke by a heel getting because Miz gets disqualified for doing a low blow. Was that like a master stroke to get away? Or did he just accidentally get himself kicked in the balls? <laughs> yeah. Because if it just it happened by accident, I mean, not that it, what does it really matter? And then he stands up and Miz kicks him, like, field goal kicks him in the balls again. Like, so, like, who... who Miz going for the figure four, you can't have Cesaro low blow him and then roll him up. Or even just small packaging, man, who cares? Like, <laughs> if he really wants to pay tribute to Ric Flair, that's the finish. The funny thing is literally just that, like, neither one of these two is going to gain any momentum by beating the other. Who gives a shit who wins this match? And you can't do a clean finish? Backstage, Daniel Bryan and Kane argue about who's going to win the Elimination Chamber match. The answer is neither of them. Of course, obviously. This is not yet the mega, mega over team hell no like they're still over but like they're not where they're gonna get in the summertime i think yeah all right next up we've got the elimination chamber match uh jericho versus daniel bryan versus swagger versus kane versus mark henry versus randy orton wow there are so many of these matches from this era where, like, you look at the card and it's just like, why is Orton slumming it with these other assholes? <laughs> I feel like that was, like, a 10-year period of his career. He's, yeah, by far the biggest star in this match. And then I think the second biggest is Mark Henry. Yeah. Orton was just always the odd man out. Like, he would never be high enough to wrestle with, like, the Rocks and the Punks and the Cenas. And he'd just be like, well, I guess I'll wrestle... Kane again, or Shane. Still doing it to this day. <laughs> yeah. He uh, just lost 
I think he might be the losingest person in elimination chambers. I should have looked that up. He did win I, the one. He won the one. We're gonna cover it next week, where he beat Daniel Bryan at the end. Yes. He only won one, but I think he's been he's in been like so ten. Many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was in these every year for a ten-year stretch. I think. Oh yeah. You would think he would thrive in that environment because he can come from out of nowhere. Agreed. Swagger comes out first with Zeb Coulter. They do a promo in case you needed more confirmation he was winning. It's just so funny to see somebody standing in the elimination chamber yeah. cutting like a, a little character promo to be like, you probably haven't watched SmackDown, so you don't know about my character yet. So let me just give you a little info <laughs> on it right before I win this match. to you people who I am. <laughs> I know you don't watch SmackDown. Nobody does. I also love that they let Swagger talk instead of having the mouthpiece talk for him, which is the whole fucking reason you have a mouthpiece is because Swagger can't talk. Uh, Jericho and Danielson start. That's a match Jericho tried to get at several WrestleManias, I think. Oh, for sure. Swagger comes in third, then Kane. Um... There's no eliminations here until they all enter the match. I'll spoil that. Which is funny because Michael Cole just keeps hammering over and over that like you can lose before everybody's in. It could a person could win if they're still in the chamber because if everyone else gets bit, like okay, yeah. settle down. Orton comes in fifth. He I th- he got kind of a mixed reaction here. Actually, heard a lot of boos, which is weird because he was definitely hundred percent babyface at the time. Yeah, I think this is one of those times where he had gotten, like, very, very, very lame in his yeah. babyfaceness. I think, I don't know when his next heel turn comes after it's this. It's the but summer. I, this is when he does the money. This is when this is the authority. Yes. Okay. So, I, I think it's just, it was every time. so often in the, the, the story of Randy Orton, it just becomes time to turn him. Um. Orton and Jericho hit simultaneous superplexes on Swagger and Danielson. Everyone is down as Mark Henry enters. So this is just easy pickings for Mark Henry. I would have laughed so hard if it had just been like Mark eliminates everyone. Just world strong slam splash on everybody and pin every one of them in a row. Just an eight minute elimination chamber. He pins Danielson with a world's strongest slam. Then he slams Orton through the pod wall. Uh, Then he hits Kane with a world's strongest slam to eliminate him. Um, Henry beats up everybody for the next couple minutes until Orton reappears to hit the RKO and pin him. Uh, Bless Orton for having the only kill shot that works against that man. And then Henry beats everybody up until a bunch of referees and Booker T, who was the SmackDown GM at the time, come out to make him leave. This this makes Mark Henry look like a fucking monster. I love yeah. this. This is the. I mean, they pushed him a lot more than they pushed Jack Swagger in this match. Oh, for God, absolutely you know, they did. You notice I really haven't said Swagger's name yet. He really doesn't he do doesn't, much. He doesn't do shit until the very end. Yeah, we have a long stretch of Orton and Jericho and Swagger fighting. Jericho puts Swagger in the walls of Jericho. Orton stupidly breaks it up. That makes no sense in the context of the match. 
even the commentators like call him yeah. out, like what the fuck are you doing cole says something like it's about the like pride of victory jbl's just like no that's stupid yeah shut the fuck up no it's not that was just a dumb dumb spot uh orton hits jericho with the rko and eliminates him and then swagger swoops in to roll orton up and pin him and swagger gets the win um i feel like they should have pushed swagger harder than that i would have let him get several eliminations yeah they the last five minutes when it was just the three of them was genuinely very very good like like they were going hard this is the best jericho i've seen in some time like he was really actually going for it here uh orton was great as always like this was really good and i don't even have a problem with it really with jack swagger winning but i agree like they he didn't beat anybody until he rolled up orton at the end he didn't even get to beat orton with his finish no i think this would have been better if you can still have Henry come in and dominate, but he didn't need to pin anybody. He could have just beat everybody up and then got caught with the RKO and then have Swagger eliminate Danielson and Kane and then like have him take out Orton at the end. I mean, probably Swagger should have taken out Henry instead of Orton, if we're being honest. Or just that's really literally, why not just have him run the table and eliminate everybody? Why not? You're trying to to just pop him up into the main event out of nowhere. Like, you might as well go all in on it. Fucking have him start with Brian and tap him out before, like, the interval. And he's just standing in the ring waiting. Yeah, like, CM Punk was supposed to do the the big show in December to dismember. Oh, my God. Tap him out with the Anaconda Vice in 30 seconds. Of course that would happen. Why wouldn't that happen? (laughs) Next up, we've got The Shield against John Cena, Sheamus, and Ryback. The Shield debuted back at Survivor Series when they triple powerbombed Ryback through the announce table, which helped CM Punk retain the WWE title in a triple threat match over Ryback and Cena. Then the next month at TLC, The Shield beat Ryback and Team Hell No in an awesome match that was such a great statement debut match for them literally this it is so stunning that that was their first match after being called up that is the greatest debut match any wrestler has probably ever had it was awesome like it it is an if you haven't watched that match recently go back it is from start to finish fucking incredible this match this match is incredible this is their second match on the main roster Roman Reigns has probably had 30 matches total in his entire career. And they take out John Cena, the top guy in the company, Sheamus, former WWE and World Heavyweight Champion, and one of the top baby faces, and then Ryback, who has been the most pushed guy in the company for the last six months. We don't make enough above about this, but they sacrifice Ryback's entire year-and-a-half-long yeah. push to the Shield. And they're right. Ry- yeah, the- S.H.I.E.L.D. just dis- dismantles Ryback every single time they meet. Yeah, they don't need Ryback. They got Roman Reigns now. And that's absolutely true. <laughs> like, it's just so funny because, again, these three guys are not what you would have thought would be their target. Like, oh, man, these are the can't-miss prospects we're going to push and have them beat John Cena only and ro- everybody. 
But like even so, who was original? Do you remember who was originally going to have the Roman Reigns spot in the group? Oh shit, I can't remember who was it. Chris Hero. Chris Hero. Yeah. In his bat with his beer gut and his basketball jersey. Now I do want to make this clear. Never let it be said that like Vince McMahon wasn't willing to give indie guys a chance because this is a deathmatch dirtbag wrestler. A uh, fucking high spot, like slam dancing asshole, <laughs> and a and guy with. A, the yeah. whole idea was that it was originally going to be Punk's group of indie weirdos. Yes. And then they were like, "Oh, we should really put Roman Reigns in there," and they came up with the you know SWAT team gimmick. And I want to be clear: if they had put Chris Hero in this, it wouldn't have worked. And that's no. not because of Chris <laughs> Hero. But Roman really adds something that you this need thing needs heater. badly. Yeah, yeah. Like you need the big monster, and he is so he is so awesome taking the hot tag and just like doing. You know, he has like three things he can do. He can do a Superman punch. He can do the drive-by kick. He can do the spear, and that's all they have him do. Yeah, but they establish right away that that spear is capable of beating literally anyone in the company. Like, because that's the only way they win matches is with his spear. Yeah, towards the end of this match, Reigns spears Sheamus through the barricade. I loved when they discovered they could do that spot. That just became the Roman spot. Like, yeah. okay, who are you going to spear through the barricade deal? today? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Go on. They go to triple powerbomb Ryback, but Cena cuts it off. Cena hits the AA on Ambrose. Ryback sets up to shell shock Rollins, but Reigns spears Ryback and Rollins lands on top of him for the one, two, three. As JBL says, the Shield just took out the All-Star team. My favorite part about this is that, like, if you saw this on paper and you didn't know what the Shield were going to become and you were just like, okay, these three jabronis managed to pick up a pretty big win, that's cool. But that doesn't tell the story. The Shield dominate this match. They are so outrageously better than the other three. And the chemistry they have is unlike anything I've ever seen three guys have. And this is their second match together. I don't think that they ever even wrestled in OV in like FCW. Like, I don't think they ever had a match. No, unless they did dark matches together. Where were they gelling like this? I don't, I don't know how that's the magic of the shield is that, from the moment they step out in front of the fans, it just works. It's just perfect. You got Rollins, the high flyer, Ambrose, the character, and Reigns, the big hoss, and they just gel perfectly together. And none of them were a complete product until they yeah. grew together within this thing, and then they all became megastars like, separately. Like, but without the shield, none of them make it. I don't think any of them were can't miss prospects. By in fact, I think we all thought that Seth Rollins was a joke and that Roman oh. couldn't wrestle for shit. <laughs> I didn't think there was any way Tyler Black was going to be a star. I went on record as saying that he was the shittiest wrestler in the history of professional wrestling. I just he exemplified like everything I didn't like about indie wrestling at that time. Basically, him and Adam Cole. Yes, basically. Just, I don't know, so many super kicks and just a bunch of stupid spots and long, greasy, gross hair. I just, something about it I hated. I was, 
like I kept getting forced into watching like dead era ring of honor when he was the champion and like it's like Davy Richards and shit by my friends. And like, I just resent it. And all of the resentment about how bad ring of honor had become landed on his shoulders, which probably wasn't fair. It was just the face of it. It's the, it's the same thing with Adam Cole in the later days of NXT. Yeah. It wasn't his fault, but he was the face of it during the worst time. Uh, then Dolph Ziggler comes out and he complains about not having a match. He points out Swagger didn't deserve a spot in the chamber because he hadn't been wrestling. Dolph spitting some truths here. This is like Drew McIntyre. That is absolutely factual. <laughs> He's not ranked in the top ten. He also full on says it doesn't matter if you win the belt or not because I'm gonna win the belt, which is yeah. also absolutely also true. true. Fact check true. Yeah. Booker T then comes out and says that if Ziggler wants a match, he can have one against Kofi Kingston. Booker T, like, there should be something that they hand, like, new commissioners or GMs at the beginning of their jobs. Like, here's the matches you're not allowed to book because we've seen them a hundred million billion times. I think these guys wrestled on pay-per-views in three different decades. I think you're right. Like, I know, obviously, they wrestled here many times. Then they wrestled in the 20... Oh, that was 2019 when Kofi was the champion, not 2020. Yeah, I think we just missed that. (laughs) But, yeah, a match that just could have happened any year between about 2008 and 2022. And just, like... And it did. And it, it, it did so, 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 so many times. And I understand, like... Both of these guys are very athletic. They never had a bad match. But at a certain point with two guys, they're just, you've run out of things to say, right? Oh, they wrestle for a couple minutes until Kofi hits the trouble in paradise. Big E, who is Dolph's bodyguard at the time, distracts him. So Kofi doesn't make the cover. Kofi goes to the top. Dolph crotches him and then hits him with the zigzag to win in under four minutes. And then Big E beats up on Kofi after the match. I was so excited when Big E debuted. I thought he was the biggest can't-miss prospect of a generation. I was eventually proven right. Yeah, ten years later, he got the world Ten title. years later. But this sucked. He didn't look like a star they wouldn't let him talk, so he had no personality. He was just, like, stern. But then he started doing that comedy preacher voice thing. Yeah! It just made no sense. No, they... It's another guy, They just like Cesaro, where they just had no... They just didn't... Well, it, it was the beginning of the NXT main roster disconnect, where they would br- they'd bring... They'd be, you know, Triple H would be going on and on about how good these guys were, and they'd bring them up, but they didn't seem to have any sense of how they got over in NXT. Vince almost seemed like he resented having oh, to I have new did. people. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, <laughs> Big E got over doing the King Kong Bundy five count in NXT. Vince is like, that's fucking dumb. And we don't want to remind people of Bundy. We hate only, Bundy. Only Bundy can do that. God damn it. And it's not like the three ain't enough man I need five thing really would have worked on the main roster. And of course that's part of the disconnect, but man, <laughs> what a miss. Then they plug the WWE app. Including showing step by step Michael Cole downloading the app. 
including it wasn't actually him doing it and like they keep going on about the fact that like the the wallpaper on the screen is just a picture of cole and jerry lawler and jbl's like you have a picture of jerry lawler on your phone wallpaper and michael Cole being like i gotta call my wife and let her know that i i don't have a picture of jerry lawler on my phone then they do a segment where Cameron, Naomi, and Brodus play with WWE toys. Tensai comes in, and they hit the music, and they dance together. There, there's a strange contemplative moment here where, like, Tensai walks in, and Brodus is like, what's that stuff on your face say? And Tensai just looks so sad, and he's just like, I don't even know, man. It might, it might be a sushi menu for all I know. It's like, man, what a broken man. joke. Yeah. This guy came back a year ago when he was supposed to feud with John Cena. He beat John Cena on an episode of Raw. Yep. And then now, yeah, a year later, he's a dancing bear. I just love so much that sometimes Vince would clearly hear like, oh, he's coming back from Japan, huh? Samurai. (laughs) Sure. Giant white samurai. I mean, the idea of this guy who's like went to Japan and got really hard and now he's super bitter about it and he's coming home to like wreak vengeance on everyone is a great idea. Yeah. Like you don't need to do the stuff with the face paint and whatever. <laughs> like the fact that he got these giant tattoos in the time that he's been gone and is like a badass now is all that you actually need. Next up for the Divas title, we've got Caitlyn versus Tamina. Oh, <laughs> Tamina. Still with Guys, the company, right? Or did they yeah, finally let is, her go? This is the darkest sunrise of the Divas yeah. division. The night is always darkest before the dawn. Yeah, let me be clear. There really felt like there was a moment here that they were just going to stop having women's wrestling yeah. altogether. Caitlin and was, AJ probably saved it, and the Bellas. Yeah, Caitlin and AJ kept it on life support long enough because Vince didn't see either one of them as wrestlers. He wanted them to do other stuff, but they were good enough together in their matches that they would put those matches on. And like and that prolonged Triple H, I'm sure was pushing it, being like, "We've got Paige in NXT, and she's our last hope." I don't know if you guys understand this, especially if you're newer fans. If Paige never gets signed to NXT, the women's revolution doesn't happen. They don't sign all of these other girls. They don't have the they don't start hunting and shimmer for women who can wrestle as well as she does. It just doesn't happen without her. You want to play the how old is Paige game? Oh god. Right now this moment, how old is Paige? 33? 31. Oh, my God. So, yeah, she's in developmental at this point. She's like 21 or 22 years old. Again, not to like harp on this again, but we bring it up every time we talk about Paige. But like when I used to do Q scouts and I would literally scout all of the NXT talent that were coming up when it wasn't common knowledge for everyone to just watch the shows. I said she was the best prospect, not women's prospect, prospect in the history of professional wrestling. And I stand on that. Because Better than The not, Rock or Brock Lesnar? Yes, because the difference between that is, is that, like, first of all, I didn't really think she was going to go find Hollywood or anything like that. But also, like, those guys had obvious flaws in their game when they were, like, this young. Like, yeah, Brock Lesnar 
didn't seem like he was ever going to be able to cut a promo to save his fucking life. Rock the Rock. Like a dork. Yeah. Paige came into NXT the best women's wrestler that company had ever seen. I, I feel no compunctions about saying that. She could cut a promo. She could play characters. She could wrestle her ass off. And she was fucking 20. You could have her for 20 years. <sighs> the wheels of time spin on. After three minutes, Caitlin hits a spear and retains the title. Oh, yeah, this match. Yeah, there's a match. <laughs> uh, our, discussion, our discussion there went longer than the match did. Hey, uh, Caitlin's spear always did look pretty good. Yeah, better than Edge's. She could hit a fucking spear. Then they show the promo for WrestleMania 29 coming to New York, technically New Jersey. I'm coming home. <laughs> Are you able to hear that song without having some nope. version of PTSD? <laughs> Can't hear it without thinking about that WrestleMania. Thinking about Chris Christie coming out on stage, waddling out there to wave to the crowd. Thinking about that 35-minute P. Diddy medley. <laughs> oh, my God. That WrestleMania is a mess. <laughs> One of the worst ever. <sighs> Next up, it's main event time for the WWE Championship. The Rock defends against CM Punk. I don't remember how, but there's a stipulation that if Rock gets disqualified or counted out, Punk wins the title. It's a very, I don't know. very convoluted way they got to that. I can't remember exactly what it was. I don't know. And like CM Punk has stolen the WWE title yep. from The Rock, so he comes out with it. Yep. He's claiming he's still the champion. He never lost. This is all just like the kind of bullshit you pour onto a match that doesn't have heat of its own and you just need to make up some reason. It's so clearly all stuff Punk and Heyman came up with. And Vince was just like, sure, whatever. I don't care. It's Rock still winning, right? Yeah, who gives a shit? Rock does some arm drags early on. Punk tries to bait Rock into getting disqualified by spitting in his face. It worked for uh, Christian on Orton that one time. Yeah, got himself kicked in the dick, but he did win the title. Yeah. Punk gets Rock on the mat and starts wearing him down. He hits a springboard clothesline, the knee in the corner, the bulldog, the flying elbow. He throws Rock to the floor. He rock bottoms him on the announce table, which won't break. Oof. Yeah. Rock barely beats the count back into the ring. I was so afraid that, like, the Rock was going to hurt himself here. Yeah. Because, like, what if Rock, like, tears his ACL or something in this He gets hurt really bad in the Cena match to the point where he hasn't wrestled a real match since. Yeah. Like, if that's the case, do you have Punk win here and then it's Cena Punk? Like, is that what we do? Probably. Fuck, that's grim. Rock hits a clothesline and a DDT. He goes for the rock bottom, but Punk fights out. Punk tries for the springboard clothesline, but Rock catches him out of the air with a rock bottom. Only gets two as Punk kicks out. Oof. Ref gets knocked off the apron. Punk hits the GTS. There's no referee to make the count. 
Punk goes for the GTS again, but Rock slips out. He hits the spine buster and the people's elbow, but Punk kicks out at two. I mean, at least what you have to say is that there's an effort being placed here to make CM Punk look good. Yeah. Like, The Rock Appreciate wants that. to make him look good. And in both the Rumble match and this one, like, Punk is made to seem like Rock's equal, even though he doesn't feel that way. But at least the, an effort is made. Punk hits Rock with a roundhouse kick and knocks down another referee in the process. Heyman then holds Rock for Punk to hit with the belt, but Rock ducks it and Punk hits Heyman instead. And then Rock hits the rock bottom on Punk to get the one, two, three. I thought this was good, but not nearly as good as their Rumble match. They just couldn't find that extra gear. I mean, and the Rumble match was so special because we hadn't seen The Rock wrestle anybody but Cena in, like, fucking forever. And, like, Punk really brought something special out of him, and we got to see a new side of Rock for the first time. This felt like a rehash, and that's exactly what it was. So, yeah, a wrap on this show. It was okay. I don't know. It's fine, I guess. It's... Again, without The Rock on this show, yeah. it's probably one of the crappiest Elimination Chamber February pay-per-views of all time. We definitely and would again, not have covered it if Rock wasn't on this show. And it's so funny to cover it from the perspective of, like, what if they had done the triple threat? Because, again, I think it would have been a massive failure to do it at that show. And I think it may have actually worked in the year that we're in now. I'm glad that they're not doing it because I just want to see Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. That's what I want. But, like... It is interesting to see the difference because I think a lot of people compare Punk and Brian from like their eras to Cody from this one. And there's something about Cody that I feel like is above where those two guys were. Does that does that track that same way to you? Yeah, I think that's right. It just feels like it's not weird for Cody to be involved with those guys in the same way. No, I mean, Cody is the biggest full time star they've had. In a very long time. At least since Cena was full-time. And yeah, I mean, before you, that, I don't know. If we're going to agree <laughs> that he's bigger than Punk or Danielson, then yeah, you have to go back to Cena. And, like, Punk and Danielson had bigger moments, obviously. Like, WrestleMania 30 is bigger than anything Cody has done so far. And Punk's Summer of Punk in Chicago is a special moment that Cody hasn't matched. But that doesn't mean... It's not the same thing. Like, I think... Cody has reached a level of recognizability and general overness with the audience that the other two just couldn't maintain. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a more natural baby face than punk. He's a lot just bigger and more normal than Danielson. Yeah. Neither. I don't think either punk or Danielson really embraced being a baby face. They both wanted to be heels. That is the funny thing is I think I don't even know if Danielson could ever really decide and also, he's a really understated babyface. He can't, neither one of those guys is capable of being earnest in the way that Cody Rhodes can. You know what I mean? All the great babyfaces are capable of being embarrassingly, cringily earnest because that's what really wins people's love and affection. Yeah. Cody will commit to it. Yeah. CM Punk ain't never going to commit to that shit. All right. So next time. Going to jump forward a year and cover Elimination Chamber 2014. No Rock on this show. The role of The Rock is instead played by Batista as he's the big Hollywood star that nobody wants around. 
And it's so funny because despite the fact that this one doesn't actively feature The Rock, it is a much more literal version of what we went through this yes. exact year that we're in now. And that's one of the times that we're the next two weeks, we're going to do the same situation and we're going to do the time they pivoted and the time they didn't pivot. So we're going to do 2014. And then the week after that, we're going to do 2015 with Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. And it's such a fascinating difference to see like how they learned sort of from their mistake, but maybe made the wrong. Actually, they they learned the opposite. (laughs) This time this year, it really is like the ghosts of 2014 and 2015 that caused Rock to get the to be to cause Rock to be like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't take Cody's spot. And that's the fascinating thing. And this is also going to feature the last time we saw The Rock before this, like that we really actually saw The Rock. As he like disappeared in a puff of smoke upon hearing booze surrounding. And I kind of think the seeds of the yes movement were planted by Punk not getting the WrestleMania main event. I think so. I think that's really the beginning of the hardcore fan discontent. If you were there at the time, people flat out believed that the triple threat was happening. Like, and they were furious that Punk didn't get the spot because it just felt like. There had never felt like more of a disconnect between what we would refer to as casual fans and the hardcore fans than between CM Punk and The Rock, right? They they just flat represented separate in a way that Cody Rhodes doesn't. Cody Rhodes doesn't just represent hardcore fans. That's ridiculous. Like, he's for everybody. Punk felt like he was just for us and the rock was just for those other people. And damn it. They chose the other people over us. Those bastards. We were all very melodramatic in those days. Yeah. But as I say, deserves has nothing to do with that. Damn right. Make that money, baby. That's the only law that matters. So yeah, next time we're going to cover Elimination Chamber 2014. We've got an Elimination Chamber match featuring Randy Orton, Daniel Bryan, and honestly, I can't remember who else was in it. And the two things that matter most on this show are A, once again, The Shield are going to have a mind-blowing, incredible match. This one against the Wyatt family. Oh my god, I forgot that was on this show. Oh, I'm so so much more excited about this now. And B, and uh, finish the story watch, Cody Rhodes is again in a tag match in the dark match. <laughs> I love that. Like, this is mostly about, like, important moments in the career of The Rock. And then there's this part of it that's what a joke Cody Rhodes was this entire time. Couldn't get out of the fucking dark match to save his life. <laughs> Just embarrassing. Uh So, yeah, we'll have all that and more next time on The Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.